Just a very quick <coughs> word of warning here. I, uh, I had uh, spoken on Wednesday night here uh, for our formal midweek Bible study, and I had to do it with, uh, with practically no voice. Uh, I, I, I did teach. Uh, I was told later that I sounded like Yoda, uh, but the, the mission was to be accomplished by teaching, so I did. Uh, I regained some of my voice back, had a lot more voice first service, so I was trying to save some for you. But I'm just mentioning that in case it goes out, you'll know what happened, then I'll go back to Yoda again, or at least sounding like him. Most of you know that uh, this weekend is Memorial Day weekend, and uh, as has happened with many of our national holidays, we have uh, rather turned them into times of picnics and parties and cookouts. And then while all of that is okay, um, usually Memorial Day weekend marks the beginning of summer and, uh, and, and that's okay. But I think that we need to remember what this day is about. Now, in 1971, the Memorial Day was officially established as a holiday in the tradition and the way that it's being celebrated now. But uh, Memorial Day goes back, actually, all the way back to the late 1800s in honor of the many people who died serving both in the North and the South in the Civil War. Uh, and so they celebrated or in, in essence really honored and memorialized the dead in, in the Civil War. Later on, they, uh, of course, added to that the Spanish-American War and then World War One, and eventually World War Two, uh, Korea, Vietnam, and then all wars since. And it is to honor and to memorialize the many who gave their lives in fighting for freedom against tyranny. That we might have the freedoms that we do have today in this country. But it brought to mind a verse of scripture that we find in Ezekiel 20 verse, uh, I'm sorry, 22, Ezekiel 22 verse 30 that says, And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. And I thought about that particular verse because what we honor today are those who stood in the gap for this country and gave the ultimate sacrifice for it. Many of us, most of our families who were born or raised here in the, in the States, or even if we became first-generation uh, uh, Americans, Many of us, of course, had family who fought in many of those wars previous to those being fought today. But in some way, we've all been touched by the lives that were given for the freedoms that we have. And so today I want to honor those of you who have served this country, those who are serving today, as well as our veterans in our congregation today. So if you are active duty 
military or you are a veteran of any of our military branches of service, would you please stand? We'd like to honor you today and thank the Lord for you and for the service that you've given. And, and please remain standing as we pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you this morning for these who are before us, who have served this country admirably and loyally. We thank you so much, Lord God, for their service today. As they stand in representing all who have fought in wars that have affected the freedoms that we ourselves hold very dear. We pray, Father, for those that are still in military service today. We ask you to bless them, protect them, keep them, and watch over them. We pray for members of our congregation like Eric Ponce, who is leaving uh, today or tomorrow to Chicago to be sworn in to the uh, United States Navy. And we pray, Father, that you would protect Eric and, and uh, be with his parents, uh, George and Lisa, as they uh, certainly carry in their hearts, Lord, his, uh, his safety and his, his concerns. And so, Lord, we lift him up. We know that after graduation, many times we have our young people that make the decision to join any of the branches of military service. We ask you to bless them in those decisions that they make. But we do thank you. And we want to take the time, Lord God, to, to, to truly understand what these days, these holidays, uh, mean to us we should never take them for granted as those who have served have never taken for granted Lord what they uh, have done and we thank you for them may you bless them and bless our families Lord with service members today in Jesus name Amen and Amen let's thank them once again like to uh, draw your attention to John chapter 3, John chapter 3, as we continue on in our study of the gospel of John. In our last chapter, we saw the account of Jesus entering into the, the temple and having revealed a portion of himself to the people when he saw the tables of the money changers when he saw the exorbitant prices uh, that were being laid out to the people for animals to sacrifice uh, and, and he overturned their tables And he told them to take these things away because his father's house was not a house of merchandise. And this brought up the questions by all the religious leaders who surrounded Jesus that day. What sign do you show of who you are to do the things that you're doing?
And he said, destroy this temple. And in three days I will raise it up. But he wasn't talking about the temple. He was talking about his body. We're told that people who saw certain miracles that Jesus had, had performed began to believe because they saw the miracles. But Jesus, he said, knew, we're told Jesus knew their hearts. And he did not commit himself to them because he knew what was in them. And that's a pretty awakening thought. That Jesus knows what's in us. So as we enter into chapter 3 now, we don't want to be separated from what just took place in chapter 2. And I'll, I'll tie that all together here in just a moment. So let's begin by reading here verse 1. There was a, a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and he said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. The present section, or this present section of the gospel, the gospel of John, actually begins with the last few verses of chapter 2, as I've already made reference to, but let me read those to you. After Jesus said what he said about his being able to destroy the temple in three days and, and raise it up again, verse 21 says he spoke or he spake of the temple of his body. When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Now let's pick up in verse 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover in the feast day, Many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man for he knew what was in man. So we have to understand that Jesus' cleansing of the temple as we saw there in the previous chapter truly had made its impact on the people but especially it made its impact on the ruling Sanhedrin, and I'll talk more about the Sanhedrin later. But because of that, for every verse of, go- of the Gospels that point out the building animosity of the religious leaders toward Jesus, they just might be traced back to this event. But a man named Nicodemus came to Christ after this, more than likely representing the thoughtful few whose hope for the restoration of Israel and for the quick establishment of the kingdom had been stimulated by the Messiah's authoritative action. Finally, someone was taking some kind of action that seemed to have a lot of authority behind it. And so this chapter here, chapter 3, begins the first 
of Jesus' twelve discourses in the Gospel of John. Now a discourse can be defined as a dissertation or a treatise or a sermon. Sometimes it is an address or a speech or as in this case it is a dialogue. A dialogue. In chapters 3 and 4 John records two conversations that Jesus had or two dialogues that he had with two people. A man and a woman. In this chapter, the man is Nicodemus. And in chapter 4, the woman is a nameless woman who was a person from Samaria. The man Nicodemus was respected. He was a religious leader, a Jew, one that people looked up to. The woman in chapter 4 was a not-so-respected person. In fact, she was a Samaritan and one looked down upon, especially by the Jews. But both of them, as we shall see in this chapter and in the next, both of them took Jesus' words too literally and they missed the deeper meaning of what Jesus had been doing and saying. Yet, both of them were sincere inquirers Both of them were very sincere in their approach to Jesus. And with both of them, with Nicodemus and the woman of Samaria, Jesus worked very patiently. And he offered both of them eternal life. Now that's significant. Because he offered eternal life to the rich and to the poor, to the respected and to the one not so respected. To the one that had prominence, to one who had no respect whatsoever. This is the Jesus that came to save us and loves us with an everlasting love. And as we begin to look more closely at the person of Nicodemus, the fact that he was a religious leader, that he was rich and respected, it it would seem brought no real peace or joy for which he longed. And the interesting thing is that even in our day and time, there are a lot of people who might have a lot of, of, of wealth, or they might have a lot of things in their life, or they might have a lot of, of prominence and position, but they have no peace, and they have no joy. But Nicodemus might have come to Jesus with a thought, perhaps this new prophet that we, we have just met here had some understandings, or he had some intuitions that might help. Me, personally. And what Nicodemus sought were answers. All of us seek answers. All of us want answers about life. All of us want answers about what our purpose is in life. Answers. Isn't that what we all want? Nicodemus wanted answers for the things that he had seen and heard that had happened. So with that in mind, we look again at verses 1 and 2 to find some answers for ourselves. 
There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. Now, it's an interesting name. Nicodemus is really a Greek name. It literally means conqueror of the people. It says he was a ruler of the Jews. The same came by night to Jesus, or the same came to Jesus by night. So I guess we need to call him Nick at night. I, I just want to see if you were listening. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Now, now there's an issue. There's an issue that we want to address immediately concerning a word that doesn't appear in English translations of verse 1. Let me go back there just for a second so you can see it. There's a word that's not appearing in English translations here of verse 1, and that word is the conjunction de, de, in the Greek, de. It's at the beginning of the verse. Actually, literally in the Greek, it's the second word, but it, it, in the sense of the Greek, it, it's really pointing to the very beginning of the verse. Some more modern translations will use the word now, as in to say, now there was a man of the Pharisees. Uh, another translation uses the word and to begin the, the verse. And there was a man of the Pharisees. But in fact, it is more generally the word but, B-U-T. In interlinear translations of the Greek New Testament, that is, a New Testament that is written in Greek, but above it you'll find the translation in English. That's an interlinear translation. So in interlinear translations of the Greek New Testament, that one word is normally translated as moreover. Moreover. One word, moreover. M-O-R-E-O-V-E-R. Now, why am I bringing this up? Well, moreover, first of all, is a word that we don't really use in our common daily usage. But it's an important word because it means in addition to. In addition to. So that's significant here if we need to understand the link between chapter 2 and chapter 3. So this is significant in understanding the transition here of these two chapters. So to read, but there's a, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, or moreover there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. This in fact reveals the work of the Holy Spirit in putting this man, Nicodemus, in contrast with the people of chapter 2 at the end that, 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 that Jesus or that John speaks of as far as that Jesus knew their hearts and he did not commit himself to them because he knew their hearts. But it also brings a comparison, though a slight comparison, with those people in the life of Nicodemus. So when Nicodemus then was a man whom Jesus recognized as sincere and as honest seeking after the truth. Jesus recognized him as sincerely and honestly seeking after the truth. And you might say, well, how is that? Well, first of all, he listened to Nicodemus. He listened. He met with him. He knew his heart. He knew his heart. 
that he was truly seeking answers from the Lord. Now in Isaiah 55 verse 6, we're told, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found, call ye upon him while he is near. Many of us here today, when, when, when faced with, with crises, when faith, faced with issues, we know that we can go to the Lord. We know that we can seek him while he may be found. We know that we can call upon him while he's near. My question to you is, are you doing that? Are you seeking the Lord? We're told in Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 13, And you shall seek me and find me when you shall search with, uh, for me with all your heart. Now this is critical as well because sometimes I believe that we don't really seek him with all of our heart. We're seeking answers and sometimes we'd rather seek the answers from man than from God. And we end up not getting any answers at all. But God is clear. You shall seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Jesus knew the heart of Nicodemus. Now what do we know about this man? Well, we're first told that Nicodemus was a man of, of, the, a man of the Pharisees. What did that mean? That meant that he was a person who separated and sanctified himself from others strictly to pursue in faith and practice all matters pertaining to the keeping of the law. You see, in the intertestamental period, the period, the 400, uh, 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament, somewhere right in the middle, around 200 years before the birth of Christ, there was a, a group of people who, who gathered together serious about the law, serious about knowing the law, serious about living the law, serious about finding the law, serious about following the law. And so they called themselves Pharisees, and that word comes from the word that means to be separate or to be set apart for this kind of pursuit. That would include tithing and circumcision and ceremonial and uh, ceremonial cleanliness and eating only certain foods, fasting, observing all holy days. But as they went on into the time of Jesus, they, be, they began to develop traditions of the elders where the oral law became as necessary and binding as the written law. And so they were defenders of the traditions of the elders, which by the way, when you read the Gospels, Jesus criticized the tradition of the elders. He would tell them, you have heard it said, or you have, or you have said this or that. But the scriptures say. And they built traditions around the law rather than read and believe and trust the law itself. And if you read Matthew chapter 23, you realize what Jesus was saying when he said to them, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. He says, oh, you, on the outside you do all of these things, but on the inside you're just whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. But that didn't mean all of them were that way. Nicodemus was certainly one who was sincere about his being a Pharisee.
Nicodemus is also called a ruler of the Jews, making him a member of the Sanhedrin, which was the ruling body of the Jewish people. We'll talk more about the Sanhedrin again a little bit more later. Nicodemus had a Greek name, as I mentioned earlier, but it signifies that he was well educated and he was influential. Later in this chapter, Jesus calls Nicodemus a master of Israel. Verse 10, by the way. He calls him a master of Israel, which means a teacher of Israel. More than likely, he was authorized as such and accepted by the public as as a teacher of Israel. We then see him come to Jesus with his belief, with his belief system, with his systematic theologies as it were but he comes nonetheless to Jesus and he soon finds out what he's lacking let's look again at verse 2 because it says the same came to Jesus by night and said unto him Rabbi we know that thou art a teacher come from God for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him it sounds like a good introduction to this meeting with him and Jesus but he says, we know. Point something out. He comes representing others. He may have been sent. Though he may have been still sincere about his coming to Jesus. By the way, his coming by night was nothing to condemn him for. Being that some preachers do. Even at times calling him a coward for doing so, I don't. In fact, there's no cowardice here. And him coming by night to see Jesus. Nicodemus knew that Jesus was busy all day long. And he certainly wanted to have a close up one on one talk with this man. And just couldn't do it in a crowd. So I'm sure he probably set up something with one of the disciples. And said listen when is the best time for me to come and see him. So he came by night. And as sincere as Nicodemus was. He was also a very cautious man. Again, he says, we know. We know that you're a teacher. And he calls Jesus didaskalos. He uses that Greek word didaskalos, which means a doctor. I mean, that's the best teacher that there can be. You are a teacher come from God. But this is where we have to kind of point out the first error that Nicodemus makes. Because his first error was in calling Jesus just a teacher. Just a teacher. Not that he wasn't, by the way, because there have been no greater teachers than Jesus on this earth. You'd agree with me, right? But Nicodemus cautiously called him a teacher like any other teacher. But one marked with extraordinary power. But that compliment fell short of the facts. And what we need to understand about Jesus is we need to know who Jesus really is. Is he just a teacher? Is he more than a teacher? He's more than a teacher. He's more than a healer. He's more than a preacher. He's the Son of God. He's God the Son. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. He's our great provider. He's our wisdom. He's our strength. And He is our salvation. 
If we're looking at Him as Messiah, we need to know fully who He is. And Nicodemus fell short and saying, you, you were a teacher sent from God. But he's more than that. And Nicodemus adds, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Now, when you look up here at verse 2, how many of you see any questions yet? Anybody see a question yet? No, this is pretty much just Nicodemus' introduction to Jesus. What's interesting here is that Jesus interrupts Nicodemus mid-sentence. And he gives him an answer. And you're thinking, he hasn't asked a question yet. That's okay, Jesus can do that. You know why? Because he knows Nicodemus' heart. He knows why he's there. He knows what he's going to ask him. And so he interrupts this man mid-sentence, this very good man, this very religious man. And he does so by revealing how far Nicodemus was from the kingdom of God. As good and religious and righteous as he tried to be, Jesus points out how far he was from the kingdom of God. Look at verse 3. Jesus answered, stop. You come to me, I'll answer you. I haven't asked a question yet. I already know. I know the question. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, truly, truly, Amen, Amen. I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, Now he asks a question. But I'm sure these two questions weren't on his list. How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? I mean, if it had been me with a list of questions for Jesus, at that point with the statement that Jesus has just given, I'd have torn up that list and said, okay, let's start all over. How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? By the way, Nicodemus isn't being argumentative here. He's asking the questions sincerely, wanting to know the answer. And Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is, is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not. Don't be so amazed were astonished that I said unto thee, you must be born again. The wind blows where it listeth, which means it blows where it wishes. And thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst tell whence it cometh, and where it goes. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. So Jesus already knew what had to be the answer to Nicodemus and the true questions of his heart and the answer was you need to be born again you need to be born again you must 
be born again. You know, when you look at this person named Nicodemus, let's face it, you see the best kind of person that religions and education and culture could produce. And Jesus points out to Nicodemus that his case really in and of itself was hopeless. If you think, Nicodemus, that you're going to enter into heaven by your religious life and by following this statute and this law and this ordinance, you're sadly mistaken. At this point, the proverbial carpet is pulled out from under Nicodemus as it is for all who think that birth and breeding, that moral self-righteousness and religious training, that knowledge of biblical truths and painstaking attendance to religious duties can gain a person an entrance pass, a ticket as it were, into heaven. And was it forgotten of this teacher of the Jewish people? Was it forgotten that is found clearly in the Word of God? What it tells us in Isaiah chapter 64 verse 6, But we are all as unclean things. We are all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses, you notice righteousnesses, it's, it's plural. All of our righteousnesses, all of them, every one of them, however many there may be, they're all as filthy rags. That's all it amounts to in our own life. If that's all we are expecting to get us into heaven, they're filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf in our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. It was clear that they thought pharisaically that their works would get them into heaven. And the giver of the law and the keeper of the law and the fulfiller of the law said, no, you must be born again. Jesus went to the heart, right to the heart of the matter. He said, Nicodemus, unless a man or woman is born anew, born from above, because that's what it means to be born again. That word, that phrase in the Greek, born again, literally means to be born anew and from above. They cannot see the kingdom of God. That word again is key. The word again, again, again. It is a word, anothen in the Greek. (coughs) And it means from the first, again, and from above. From the first, again, anew, and from above. A person must be born completely and fully again. Born all over again. In the sense of a second time. And born from above, born from God. The great understanding here. The great understanding here is that being born again. By the way, the theological term for this is regeneration. Regeneration. But the great understanding here is that being born again is something that we cannot do to ourselves or for ourselves. We can't do it, can we? We can't be born again just of ourselves. You see, if Jesus had used any other word, for example, if He had said, unless you be washed or laundered or dry cleaned. Well, let's not go that far. But if he had said, if you, unless you be washed, you cannot see the kingdom of God, a person might think, well, I can wash myself. The Jews were very good at that. 
They had their ceremonial baths, the mikvahs, outside of the, of the gates of the, of the temple. Even to this day, they have certain places where religious Jews will go and wash their hands, separate from everybody else. Those of you who've been to Israel with us, you've seen that in, in all the restaurants we've been in. And even in the city streets of Jerusalem, they have places where they wash their hands, separate from everybody else. You see, a person might wash himself, but they could never birth themselves. That's an impossibility, isn't it? And they would never see or possess or enjoy the kingdom of God. Because you see, when Jesus said that unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, literally means that you cannot possess or enjoy the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus just didn't understand the Lord's reply. I mean, he's like, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? I mean, let's, let's face it. You have to say this about Nicodemus. When the Lord confronted him with this truth, he didn't ask why. He asked how. In other words, he wasn't argumentative with Jesus. He was astonished at what Jesus said. How? See, the problem today in seeing people come to the Lord is that this world has so messed up their minds about spiritual things that people just always ask, why? In fact, people ask why all the time. Those of you that are parents know that, right? As soon as your children can start talking to you in in full sentences usually the only sentence that they say is do this do that and then you and they say why right and then you tell them well because I told you so why well you need to clean up why and that's when you want to bless them but he says how How? And Jesus knew his heart. He knew that that was the pursuit. How does a man enter into the kingdom of heaven? How does one get through this life into the life to come? And how simple and profound the Lord was in his answer, except a man be born of water, and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. I mean, this, this was not, as some believe, by the way, and let, let's start with what this isn't. This is not, as some believe, a reference to infant baptism or a baptism for salvation. There are some people who teach that this is a baptism for salvation. No. No, 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 no. It rather speaks of death. It speaks of death. Water baptism... In its fullest understanding, water baptism is a picture of the burial of the old man, not a picture of a second birth. Remember this, those who were baptized were baptized because they believed. They had confessed with their mouth the Lord Jesus and believed in their heart that Jesus was risen from the dead. And then they went to the water of baptism in obedience to Jesus. 
to identify that. That was just an act to identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not about a, a, the, the second birth. It is about dying and rising again to newness of life with the expectation and hope of resurrection. But more of that in a moment. Jesus talked about water and spirit. He was very clear when he said in those verses, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now there are various views given to explain Jesus' words about being born of water and of the Spirit. One view is very very natural, very clear. It says the water refers to the natural birth and the Spirit to the birth above. Well, that uh, you know, we can't argue with that. I mean, all of us, when we were born naturally, or we're, we're in our mother's womb, and our mother's womb was was filled with water. You know, so to some believe this is, of course, the the, the birth of water. Uh, secondly, the water refers to baptism, as already mentioned. But but there are many scriptures to contradict that position, and to make clear that salvation is by faith alone. In other words, you're not saved by your baptism. You're not saved by being baptized. The most obvious verse, of course, is John 3.16, which is in this chapter, which we'll study later. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You can jump down to the very end of the chapter, near the end of the chapter in John 3.36. He that believeth on the Son has everlasting life. I want you to notice in both places, it it doesn't say everlasting, it, it doesn't say he that believeth and is baptized has everlasting life. This clarifies it even more because it said, He that believeth on the Son has everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. So that's very clear that it's dealing with belief or non-belief. Not with belief in baptism or not belief. And it says, But the wrath of God abideth in him. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth in him. Now we could stop there if we wanted to, but there's other verses. For example, the... the uh, theological position that the Apostle Paul gives us in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9. He says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. For by grace are you saved. So he makes it clear how we're saved. We're saved by grace. Through faith. And that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And some people would say that the baptism then would be a work because then it would be you going into the water and you coming out of the water so you had some hand in saving yourself. No. Baptism doesn't save. Baptism is only an outward testimony of an inward work that's already been done. We can stop there. I'll give you one more. Titus 3 verse 5. Paul says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. According to God's mercy, not by our being baptized, but according to God's mercy, he saved us by his wash, by the washing. Notice this, by the washing of regeneration. What's regeneration? Being born again. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. Well, that now brings us even closer to understanding fully what Jesus meant about water and the Spirit. Because thirdly, the water refers to the Word of God. Water refers to the Word of God. When Jesus, and uh, I should say when Paul, 
in Ephesians chapter 5 is speaking of the marriage of a, a husband and a wife as a picture of Jesus and the church. He says this in verses uh, uh, 25 and 26. He says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he, Jesus, might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water, or the washing of water by the word. So there we see how the water refers to the word of God. Now we begin to see even more clearly what Jesus was talking about. But fourthly, the water is also the symbol of the Holy Spirit. And we see that clearly in John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39, when John records that in the last, uh, in the last day, that great day of the feast, that Jesus stood and he cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, and notice, he that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall fr- flow rivers of living water. Not he that believeth on me and then gets into the river of living water, but he that believeth on me, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And that's explained in verse 39, but this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified, so there was yet to happen in that particular sense. But lastly and more historically, the water refers to the repentance ministry. The repentance ministry of John the Baptist. John the Baptizer. And the Spirit refers to the application by the Holy Spirit of Christ to an individual. Simply, Jesus was saying to Nicodemus that in order to enter the kingdom, one needed to turn to Jesus in repentance in order to be regenerated by the Holy Spirit. And Nicodemus would have been reminded of the Baptist's emphasis. Remember that they all went out to hear about this man who was out in the wilderness saying, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And they all went out to check him out. John the Baptist was well known by the people. As a matter of fact, read Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leather girdle about his loins and his meat was locusts and wild honey. That was just to identify who it was. And then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan. And a lot of the scribes and Pharisees went. And some were baptized, or here it says, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. And Jesus said, unless a man be born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. In the last three verses of our text, Jesus gave the nature of the, na- of the new birth. The nature of regeneration, the nature of the new birth. It is spiritual, he said. It is not physical or material. 
The flesh cannot bridge the gap between the flesh and the spirit. Flesh is only flesh. It has no power to be born again, to become spirit. And then Jesus reemphasized the absolute necessity of the new birth. He said, you must be born again. You must be born again. He didn't say you should be born again. You ought to think about being born again. He said, you must be born again. He used a word that meant an absolute necessity. It was an imperative. You must be born again to see and to enter into the kingdom of God. Lastly, Jesus illustrated the point by picturing the wind. The Spirit of God works just like the wind. We may not know how the wind works, but we can see the effects. Sometimes meteorologists, you know, our weather people on TV, sometimes they help us. Sometimes they're really wrong. That's because they think, they, you know, they project, they, th- they, 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 they want to know what's going to happen, and they kind of give you these pictures of projections for the week. You know, this, this might be what's going to happen. I've actually seen it where there was a, a big threat of a hurricane one time happening on the East Coast, and, and, and you know, the hurricane's coming, and they said, look, it's, it's going to happen this way, and then all of a sudden the hurricane decided to go the other way. Must have meant a lot of Christians on the East Coast were praying that day or something. But we don't know. I mean, we can only project. We can only think. We can only assume that things might work a certain way. When it comes right down to it, we don't know. It is the same with the Spirit of God. We may not know how He works, but we can see the effects of His working. In fact, as I look around today, many of you today can understand this. You are the effects of His working. We didn't know how. We didn't see it. But He changed our lives. Because as the great writer of the song, Amazing Grace said, Once I was blind, but now I see. Once I was lost, but now I'm found. And if we want to add this, Once I was dead, But now, I've been made alive by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And I live today as a believer in Jesus Christ. So in effect, Jesus was saying to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you cannot see the wind, but you recognize its power. You cannot see the Holy Spirit, but you recognize His power. He is invisible, but He makes His presence known and felt in a mighty way as He convicts and as He regenerates sinful men. He changes men completely and fully. That's the evidence. A changed life. Nicodemus, all the things that you do, commendable in this life, but none of that can save you. None of that will get you a ticket into heaven. You must be born again. And this brings us all back to John 1, verses 12 and 13. Because if you remember, I didn't really conclude the study on this because we were going to get to this passage one day. And it says, But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, 
even to them that believe on his name. Notice that believe on his name. And look at verse 13, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God's will. God's will for you to be born again. It was God that saved you. It was Christ's work on the cross. It was His shed blood. It was His death. It was His burial. And it was His resurrection. We can't save ourselves because we can't birth ourselves. The new birth is about dying to self and believing and accepting the truth that Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Amen? Do you understand your salvation more now? Do you understand that we didn't save ourselves? Do you understand that He continues to save us each and every day of our lives until the day that He will fully save us when He comes again? Are you ready for that? The important thing is, don't ask why. Ask how. Ask how. Because that reveals your heart. You want the answers? Ask how. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love and grace and for the opportunity today to learn of you, to grow in you, to be in you, to live for you, to die for you each and every day so that Christ may live in us. Father, we thank you for your strength and mercy and grace. We thank you for clarifying, Lord, things that at times are difficult to understand. And yet each and every day of our lives we learn and we grow. Help us, Lord, to grow more and more in love with you, in love with your word, in love with your people, in love with your kingdom, in love with the church. Thank you for all that you have done and will do continually until the day of Jesus Christ. And all of this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Shall we stand? In a few moments before we dismiss and after Pastor Sean leads us in a song, when the song is done, if you need prayer for anything or you want to lift up prayers or you want someone to agree with you in prayer uh, for any burdens that you may have or you're praying for someone, please feel free. Come on up here to the front. Somebody will be available to pray with you and for you. But if you've come to the realization today that you've never prayed to receive the Lord Jesus Christ into your life. As we are told in First John, or in, in the first chapter of John, chapter uh, 1, verse 12, to as many as believed, to as many as received him, I should say, 
To them gave you the power to become the sons of God, even to as many as believe in his name. But you're not sure of that. Not sure that you receive the Lord. But you accept the truth of the gospel. In Romans 10, it tells us to confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that he's risen from the dead. But you're not sure that you've ever done that publicly. I would encourage you to come and just let somebody know up here in front that you want to receive Jesus Christ. But don't leave here without Jesus. Leave here not knowing just about Him. Leave here knowing Him. Leave here knowing Him. Trust your life to Him. And trust your whole being to Him. And realize that He loves you with an everlasting love.